you are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of the Locked On NBA Season Preview. I'm Doug Branson, a producer here at Locked On and a guest host of Locked On Hornets. I'm going to be your guide as we skip across the country division by division, previewing all 30 NBA teams with the help of our local experts. Plus, we've got Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball giving you waiver wire additions that will help your fantasy teams this season. Chad Ford of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast is profiling the rookies to watch in each division and then rejecting the screen is predicting the future headlines that you'll be reading for each of these teams. In this episode, we are going to look in-depth at the Southeast Division, featuring an unlikely defending Eastern Conference champion in the Miami Heat. A misunderstood star player finally found a love connection in Heat culture. Can the Heat and Jimmy Butler have a second honeymoon? Here's Locked on Heat with a preview. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked on Heat. Just 70 days after their season ended, the Miami Heat will start the 2020-2021 season, trying to prove that last year's success wasn't a fluke. Throughout media week, players and head coach Eric Spolstra have been pretty adamant that they're looking to build on last year's success. They're not taking a step back, nor are they putting their current team's success on hold to position themselves for another superstar player next offseason. This team believes they can win a title this year, and they'll be trying to prove that. In order for them to reach the goal of a fourth franchise championship, the Heat need to reproduce what went well last year. It's a simple formula, perhaps. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo spearhead a pass-friendly offense that prioritizes ball movement and long-range shooting and playing defense just well enough to secure a top seed in the Eastern Conference. They'll likely start four out of the same five players, Butler, Adebayo, Duncan Robinson, and the newly re-signed Myers Leonard alongside Tyler Hero to replicate their regular season success. In the playoffs, Leonard will once again be taken out of the lineup to unlock Miami's versatility and depth to go on another deep playoff run. If Butler can't stay healthy, or if his shooting continues to take a downward turn, then Miami might need to find a new identity on the fly. Despite Butler's shooting woes last season, he was able to draw free throws at the second highest rate in the league. But will that wear and tear mean he'll struggle even more offensively? Without a dependable outside shot, there are concerns that his game simply won't age well and Miami doesn't have enough superstar talent to continue winning at a high level. Adebayo is the team's best player. He doesn't put up the same numbers that Butler does, but he does everything else so well, and he's the team's focal point on offense and defense. But he has not been a go-to scorer so far in his career, and Hero, at just 20 years old, might not be ready to take up that burden. If that's the case, then this team could be filled with one-dimensional players, good on offense or on defense, but not both, and they might struggle to reach the postseason in an Eastern Conference that generally improved this offseason. Miami's strength will be their depth and continuity. There won't be many changes for this team offensively or defensively, unless there's a significant drop-off for Butler or another starter. Spreading the floor, a lot of off-ball cutting and movement, dribble handoffs on the perimeter with one of the best screeners in the game in Adebayo and a historically good shooter in Robinson. Why change anything that worked so well and was virtually unstoppable throughout the season? Offensively, this won't be the same switchable team that you remember from the Orlando bubble. With Leonard likely starting again, expect a lot of drop coverage from him to make up for his lack of foot speed on the perimeter. Adebayo and Butler will be expected to help out a lot, and there won't be much rim protection. But you have to expect that free agent additions Avery Bradley and Mo Harkless will provide perimeter defense as well, although I can't say for certain where either will fit in the rotation. 
Bradley seems likely to get the most minutes, with Harkless being able to provide, at least in theory, what Jay Crowder did last season. Andre Iguodala and second-year player KZ Opala might be contributors as well, so Eric Spolstra does have some options. If there's a player whose career trajectory is most impacted this season, I think it's Tyler Hero. As a low lottery selection last year on a very deep team, he probably flew under the radar for most of the regular season. He was often a reserve. He didn't have to carry too much of the load offensively, but he had enough big moments, particularly in the bubble, that this has probably changed. If he does start, he'll have to prove that he can be a consistent go-to scorer and handle going up against the top guards around the league. He has the potential to improve defensively and as a playmaker, and if his scoring is as solid as last year, or even better, he'll prove himself as a starter. Conversely, if he doesn't take the leap that many around the front office expect him to, then he'll be known primarily as a one-dimensional scorer, a potential sixth-man-of-the-year candidate, someone like Lou Williams or Jamal Crawford, and he'll fall short of what many believe is all-star potential. My guess for the season, and I say this with all honesty, should be taken with a huge grain of salt. This is a unique situation. What answers we might have now could be rendered pointless if a player contracts COVID-19 and misses a large chunk of the compressed season. But... If things stay relatively healthy and injury-free, I think Miami will be able to capitalize on their continuity and depth early in the season and jump off to another hot start. They're always well-conditioned, and they're eager to show they are legitimate contenders. And eventually, the short turnaround between seasons might catch up to them, though. Players will miss time, and the second half of the season will be a long slough. If Spo manages minutes and games correctly, however, this is a team with experience, talent, and chemistry, along with one of the best coaches in the league. Once they're in the playoffs... I think they can eliminate anyone in the East before eventually falling to the Lakers in the NBA Finals for a second straight year. It seems like ages ago that the Atlanta Hawks were wreaking regular season havoc year after year with the likes of Al Horford, Paul Millsap, Jeff Teague, and Kyle Korver. Now they are Trey Young and the Restless to contend once again. Here's Locked on Hawks with more. Hello, friends. My name is Brad Roll, and I'm the host of the Locked on Hawks podcast, and it's time to preview the upcoming season, and the Hawks have plenty going on. The biggest storyline this time around is where the team is going. The Hawks have been rebuilding for a few years now, but with Trey Young already making a leap, with John Collins returning, and a bunch of young players, the Hawks elected to sort of go more into the middle with regard to adding free agents, um, quality guys at high price tags. First, Clint Capella via trade back in February. He's not played yet. That's a pretty big addition in its own right. And then from there, you add Danilo Gallinari, you add Bogdan Vandanovic, you add Chris Dunn, you add Rajon Rondo. The Hawks spent a lot of money over the quick offseason this time around, and that is the big storyline. How is it all going to work out? Do the Hawks have too many pieces? Are they going to make a lead to the playoffs this year? Plenty of questions to be answered on that front. With regard to the best-case scenario, of this year's team, it's basically that all the pieces come together. If Trey Young replicates himself in the way that he did last year, as well as John Collins, if you get the leap that you could possibly get from guys like Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Herter, and then have those guys integrated with all of the free agents that they've added, this is a team that certainly could be a you know middle of the pack playoff team in the Eastern Conference. Um, look, it's it's kind of tough to project that at this point in time without them ever having done it. But if you look at, at this team from a talent perspective, they have five players that are probably in the top eighty to ninety. Or maybe even 100 of the NBA, and if just that talent alone allows the team to do a lot of good on the floor, especially when it's headlined, and I would say most importantly headlined, by a star-level player in Trey Young. Now, on the downside, the worst-case scenario, 
aside from injury, would be the fact that the Hawks just don't have the pieces come together. They have too much depth in some ways. Um, the defense falls apart. That is one of the questions that the Hawks might have coming into the year is that defensively, they're not necessarily set up to be very good. Um, offensively, the talent is definitely overwhelming if it all comes together. But defensively, even if you try to squint, it's not going to be a very good defense most likely this season. So if that if that fails to coalesce, if the, if the defense is pretty bad this season, that could be a problem because at the end of the day, it's tough to win if your defense is one of the bottom five in the NBA. So that's probably the worst case scenario. And honestly, um, it's it's tough to envision the Hawks bottoming out too far. But if they don't make the playoffs this year, that would be a pretty bad scenario for a team that spent a lot of money basically just to make that jump to the playoffs and and potentially beyond. So I think the team would be very different from last year to this year. On both ends of the floor, I think offensively, you have more weapons for Trey Young to play with. They already had John Collins as an elite lob threat, an elite finisher. Uh, I would say a very, very, very efficient basketball player, but now they have more shooting. That's the biggest difference with, with, with this Hawks team this year, other than just having more weapons overall. The Hawks finished dead last in the NBA last season in three-point shooting, and that's tough to do on a team that already has Trey Young and Kevin Herter on it. But now, you had Bogdanovich, you had Gallinari, you had Tony Snell off the bench, you had a full season of, of other players that can provide spacing, and this Hawks team now has plenty of shooting, plenty of firepower on the offensive end of the floor. Defensively, the pieces are a little bit less uh, perfect in terms of the alignment, but adding Clint Capella is a huge, huge difference for this Hawks team. Last year, the Hawks had arguably the worst center play in the entire league on the whole. Guys like Damian Jones were in the lineup quite a bit for Atlanta, and defensively, it was a bit of a mess throughout the season. Now, adding Clint Capella, a healthy Clint Capella especially, is probably a league average or better starting center and a quality defender that just can, that, that can help a team by leaps and bounds. Also, for a young team, even with the Hawks having some pretty good talent they've invested on defense in the last couple of drafts, it takes time for young players to improve defensively. So you should see another jump from DeAndre Hunter, from Cam Reddish, even from John Collins defensively, and even Trey Young, who's not a great defender by any means, should improve in his third season on the defensive side of the floor. I think this season's trajectory to sort of follow... Beyond the obvious of Trey Young making another leap potentially and already being in that star conversation, I think the guy who's probably most interesting nationally right now is John Collins. What happens next with John Collins? Last year, he was their second best player. He was extremely efficient, basically posting all-star numbers for the Hawks last season. But he had a suspension, he had a shortened season, and now in the offseason, there's been plenty of speculation about the Hawks and his future because they've signed Gallinari, who is more of a, a primary power forward, as is Collins. Uh, how is the fit going to work out? That's the biggest question here. The Hawks do not necessarily have to move on from him by any means. They have control over him, either by extension or free agency. At the same time, I think this is a pivotal year for a bunch of young players on this roster, but if, if there's one guy that could see his future change, I would say the most wildly, is potentially Collins either in Atlanta or elsewhere. I would say my, my best guess overall on how this all comes together is the Hawks competing for the 7th or 8th seed in the Eastern Conference as a median outcome. The Hawks do have a lot of talent, as I said before, on, on this sort of season preview. They have top five. Sorry, they have two. They have five guys in the top hundred. I would say in the NBA this season. If you enter the year with Trey Young, Bogdanovich, Gallinari, John Collins, and Clint Capella, those pieces might come together. They also have young talent as well. So I think they'll be competing with the Indiana Pacers for that seven seed ish in the Eastern Conference. They have some upside beyond that. They also they also have some downside beyond that because they just have not done that just so just yet on this uh, on with this particular cast of characters. So we'll see what the Hawks land. That's my projection for this team is as a bottom end playoff team. They're, they're going to make it in my view this season. But uh, that is the big question for a team that's been talking loudly about the playoffs for the last seven or eight months now. It's time to take the next step. They've invested in this team and it should be very, very interesting to see what happens. 
Coming up, we preview a team hoping they found their ball star of the future, a team that hosted the playoffs but would like to actually contend in them this season, and a team hoping a big deal can keep Beal. Hornets, Magic, and Wizards up next. But first, I want to tell you about Built Go. And Built Go is made by the same group that brought you the world's fastest growing protein bar, Built Bar. Built Go makes you the best you at whatever you do. It's going to help you break through your wall, whether it's a mental or physical wall. Break through it with Go every day. It comes in easy to take one and a half ounce packages that you can put in your briefcase, your golf bag, or just put it in your pocket. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's five-hour energy without that same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for the body. It comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, or chocolate mint. Built Go combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is fast-absorbing, so it gets into your system fast. Plus, it's easy on the stomach. Built Go kicks in and helps you keep going strong with B6, B12 vitamins. Visit BillGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED and you're going to get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BillGo.com. Let's go! Hi guys, Josh Lloyd here. Just looking at fantasy basketball waiver wire ads for teams in the Southeast Division. If we go to Washington, there's some uncertainty with their rotation. The guys like uh, Davis Bertans, Thomas Bryant, these guys are going to be drafted anyway. But there's uncertainty at the three. Will it be Troy Brown Jr. that starts? Will they throw Denny Avdia in there as the starting small foot? If it is Brown that gets that gig or he's playing you know, high 20s in minutes, his ability to rebound, to get assists, to do some scoring but provide more defensive value is going to be useful. So he's a name that I'd be watching if Avdia gets in there. Um, yeah, I think he's worth at least a, a waiver wire look as well. But Brown is really the one that I'm going to be focusing on to see whether he can get a solid enough role on this Wizards team. Uh, and the Hornets are the other team that in this division I think is really important to take a look at. P.J. Washington, who should be a late-round pick, but if he gets dropped, I think he's going to see him a lot at center this year, which is going to help his block rate, hopefully. Uh, maybe bump his rebound numbers up. He's going to play a lot of minutes. His shooting was pretty good last year, although it did tail off, but he's a guy that shouldn't be on any waiver-wise. And then with that news that Washington is going to play a lot more center, it opens up minutes for Miles Bridges. Now, Miles Bridges struggled in his role last year. But he was playing the three. I think his best position is the four. So he's playing the four next to Gordon Haywood. And there is that opportunity for more minutes to push his way. I I like him there. Terry Rogier is also a player that could fall through the cracks. I imagine that LaMelo Ball and Devontae Graham will probably be the starters. Maybe it is Rogier that gets that role. But regardless, Rogier is going to see his usage cut. Probably his minutes drop down and his assist opportunities drop off. But if he is on the waiver wire, I wouldn't be leaving him there. I'd be grabbing him. I'd be seeing where this all goes and uh, and moving from there. And just, just holding on and seeing how they work out that point guard rotation. With the Miami Heat, Tyler Hero should be drafted in most leagues, but I imagine he'll be a starter for this team, so make sure he's not on the wire. Same goes with, with Goran Dragic. He shouldn't be on, on the waiver wire there either. And if you're looking for some sneaky defensive stats, someone like Mo Harkless could fill that Jay Crowder role for this Heat this season, and he's a player that can get you a steal and a block per game. So despite not being the sexiest of names, Mo Harkless is perhaps an option there for the Miami Heat as a waiver wire target for fantasy basketball. Thank you very much, Josh. Make sure you're checking out Locked On Fantasy Basketball for the best and most up-to-date information that is going to help your fantasy team. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts to Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Now we go to my home team, the Charlotte Hornets. 
Since returning to the Queen City as the Bobcats in 2003, the franchise had not moved up in an NBA lottery, despite being featured there many, many times. That all changed this past offseason. The Hornets jumped the line to number three and selected LaMelo Ball. Is he the franchise future or is the future now? Here's Locked on Hornets with more. I'm Walker Mail, part of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Check us out on Twitter at Locked on Hornets for released episodes discussing what should be the most fun Charlotte Hornets team in a really long time. And that's in large part thanks to two moves the franchise made this offseason and drafting the most entertaining player available in LaMelo Ball and signing their biggest free agent acquisition in franchise history, Gordon Hayward. With plenty of storylines to pay attention to, LaMelo and Gordon's play will lead the way. There were plenty of draft rumors surrounding the Hornets and their love for James Wiseman, with the biggest question being, what would they trade up or would they trade up a spot or two for the Memphis big guy? They decided to stay home, not give up any assets, take LaMelo Ball, and place him in a relatively crowded backcourt alongside Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, and even Malik Monk and Cody Martin logging minutes as well. After all the comments from Mitch Kupchak the past year assuring the local media and fans that Charlotte would not be big players in free agency, they give out the biggest contract to a player other than Anthony Davis in Gordon Hayward at four years, $120 million. How does he fit with the young roster and how much better does he make them? Those will be among the top questions surrounding their upcoming season. It leads to an interesting debate as to what is the best case scenario for this team, because I would rather the Hornets miss the playoffs compared to grabbing a seven or eight seed in the East and getting bounced in the first round even if it means you raise an eyebrow even further towards a Hayward signing that should propel them to the playoffs given the contract amount. My personal best-case scenario for this team would be to compete and show competent basketball every night, all the right players take a step up, including your recent first-round picks and promising second-rounders, yet not quite make the postseason because the East got legitimately better and Charlotte ends with a higher lottery pick. If you're strictly talking record, I think the highest spot in the playoffs they can reach is a 7 or an 8 seed. There are a few other ways this thing could go badly, considering the worst-case scenarios. One would be for this team to achieve a mirage type of success, where they win, but their point differential indicates they're worse than their record, taking them out of a higher draft pick. And others would be Devontae Graham not taking a step up and diminishing the hopes of what would have been a promising future player. LaMelo Ball not looking like a third overall pick, or Gordon Hayward not looking like a legitimate top two option on a future playoff team. Even if the injuries, too, are a cop-out for worst-case scenario discussions, that's also in play here with Gordon, given his history. The differences this year on this team are big with the two main additions. James Borrego has stated in press availability that P.J. Washington would play a lot of center this season, which, of course, means very small lineups with P.J. at the five, Miles Bridges at the four, and Gordon Hayward at the three, Hornets will certainly improve on what was a dreadful pace last season, and they'll have better shooting with Hayward in the lineup and P.J. playing the five. The problem, however, with a small ball lineup can be defensively down low, like many teams. Borrego said they're going to have to do a better job at blocking driving lanes and prohibiting offenses from getting in the paint so their height disadvantage isn't nearly as exposed. There are a few players whose trajectory is greatly impacted by the offseason moves and points in their career. Looking at it from a negative standpoint, I think the player has to be Malik Monk. Even when things go right for Monk, it doesn't happen for very long. I I'm as big of a fan as there is when it comes to his game and would love to hold on to him. But reality states that his best stretch of basketball last season was cut short because of a suspension due to a violation against the NBA's anti-drug policy, and he's heading into his fourth year. Not to mention, you add LaMelo Ball through the draft, Terry and Devontae will still get their minutes, and second-rounder Cody Martin played well enough to at least receive one vote for an all-rookie team. 
you can't leave a great impression if you don't play as much. And that's why I think Malik Monk's trajectory is as negative as any player on the roster. From a positive standpoint, I actually look at Devontae Graham. I actually think Devontae Graham can be good as an off-ball guard. Even with his lack of size, he really struggled when defenses prioritized stopping him amidst his breakout season, and he won't have near the amount of defensive attention he received last year. LaMelo can set him up for open shots, and lineups with a really good shooting five will also open up lanes and unclog a paint to aid him in his two-point woes that were a real problem in 2019 and 2020. Ultimately, I do think the Hornets finish as the 10th seed in the East, but provide a competitive and entertaining product this season. Coming up, Chad Ford, draft guru, tells you which rookies to watch out for in the Southeast Division, and we have two teams left to preview. Which team can cast a spell that ends their run of mediocrity? Magic and Wizards, up next. I'm Chad Ford, host of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board Podcast, and these are the rookies that I think you should watch in the Southeast Division. And it starts with a guy who is number one on my big board, LaMelo Ball, who was drafted third by the Charlotte Hornets this year, and a guy that I think has as high a ceiling as any prospect in the draft. He is an elite passer. He has incredibly high basketball IQ and just a feel for the game that you can't teach. It is just special the way that he sees the game and he sees the floor and he makes other people around him better. He's also an aggressive scorer and that is gonna be something as well that makes him a double threat whenever he's got the ball in his hands. The question marks about him though are considerable and one of the reasons that he slid to where he slid in the draft. Defensively, he was awful for the one year that he was playing in Australia. His jump shot is both unorthodox and it didn't really go in at a very high rate as well. And he's going to have to improve as a shooter to be able to have the sort of impact that you want him to have in the NBA next year. And it's not exactly clear how he's going to fit in with Gordon Hayward and all the other prospects that they have right now on this Hornets team. He is just going to be an interesting player to watch, however, and I think that if he gets it, um, he has the chance to be a star. Then you go to Atlanta, Onyeka Okongwu, a guy who some teams thought might be the best big man in this draft. There was debate about whether it was him or James Wiseman, a guy that really defensively can get after it and is a modern day NBA big that he can guard the four, he can guard the five, he moves his feet really well, he's a good shot blocker, he's a good rebounder, and showed some emerging offense. Again, there's a little bit of a log jam in Atlanta. I'm not exactly sure how he's going to get his minutes right now, but the talent for sure is there, and that's why the Hawks went with him at six. The Wizards drafted Denny Avdia, a guy that some teams thought might be the best international prospect in the draft. There was a debate between him and Killian Hayes, a guy who is one of the more aggressive players in this draft, plays with ultimate confidence, can play multiple positions on the floor, is aggressive looking and hunting for his shot, but also a really good passer, a guy who at 6'9", can get a lot of things done for teams. The question marks about him were his shooting and his shooting consistency. He actually started to shoot the ball pretty well towards the end of the season when he was playing for Maccabi Tel Aviv in Israel. 
Will that translate to the next level? He was also a terrible free throw shooter. That's a major question for him and how he's going to fit. But the Wizards drafted him because they thought he was a guy who could come in and play right away, given the level he was playing at at Maccabi. A couple of other quick ones to take a look at. Cole Anthony, a guy who was ranked as a top five prospect before the season, struggled a little bit at North Carolina, is a point guard who really has a scores mentality. And he drafted Precious Achua out of Memphis, a guy... He could be the best defender in this draft. He can guard, and this is an exaggeration, all five positions on the floor, everything from point guard to center. Offensively, his game's a bit of a mess, but defensively, he can be awesome. You've been listening to Chad Ford. If you're interested in the 2020 draft or the upcoming 2021 draft, this is the podcast to go listen to, Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. Thank you very much, Chad. We are now going to the city that saved the NBA season, of course. I'm talking about Orlando and the Orlando Magic. They've proven they can make the playoffs, but they haven't been much of a threat the past two seasons. Can they stay healthy and improve enough internally to justify another run at the postseason? Here's Locked On Magic with the answers. Hello, everyone. This is Philip Rossman, right? The host of the Locked On Magic podcast here to preview the Orlando Magic. So the number one storyline facing the Orlando Magic this offseason is how does the team balance staying competitive in the 2021 season? Because they still want to make the playoffs. They want to go to the playoffs a third straight time. And preparing for a future that frankly has very different players. It's not likely that the Magic will bring back Evan Fournier. It's not likely that Nikola Vucevic will get to the end of his contract, or Aaron Gordon will get to the end of his contract in two years either. And so the Magic are trying to figure out what comes next. And they're trying to do all this, of course, with perhaps their most promising young player no longer available to them after uh, with Jonathan Isaac out with a torn ACL. Still, this is a Magic team that has a wide range of possible outcomes. They can finish really anywhere. I'm certainly, I, I, no one's going to sit here and tell you that the Magic are a contender to win the Eastern Conference. And the East, especially at the top, has gotten a little bit loaded. Um, to, so to say that the Magic could take that leap to the sixth seed like many people thought they might be able to last year, that would be an absolute best-case scenario. But it's not likely the Magic are going to be fighting for home court advantage in the Eastern Conference. They just don't have the top-end talent to do so. It's also very possible that the Magic fall off completely, that the Magic become a deep lottery team, a team that is playing for draft picks, uh, at, at, at in this loaded 2021 NBA draft. There's a lot of things that would need to happen for the Magic to get their best case scenario. The first one would be Markel Fultz taking a step up. The former number one pick had a fantastic season, what was essentially his rookie season, averaging 12 points per game, about 12 points per game and about five assists per game, coming on stronger, especially as the season went on. By the time the season went on hiatus, he was averaging up around 13, 14 points per game, I believe. Uh, at around six assists per game, shooting much more efficiently, becoming actually one of the best mid-range jump shooters and off-the-dribble mid-range jump shooters in the league. Look those numbers up yourself. The other thing that needs to happen is Aaron Gordon needs to take his own leap. Feels like we've been saying that this is a storyline for the last three years, but if the Magic can get him to to be more of a Sean Marion type than a Kobe Bryant type, sometimes he does want to be kind of the star player that's taking all those mid-range shots. Um, then the Magic could get a really good season out of Aaron Gordon. They got guys that can handle the offense and Evan Fournier and Nikola Vucevic. If Aaron Gordon just plugs in gaps, the scoring will come to him and he can have a fantastic season. He's just 25 years old, believe it or not. Still a lot to go. 
But if those things don't happen, then the worst case scenario is very realistic for the Orlando Magic. The worst case scenario for the Orlando Magic, besides injuries, which we were promised we wouldn't say, but I'm saying it, the wrong injury to the wrong guy for this team could really cause the whole thing to collapse. If Nikola Vucevic goes down for any extended period of time, it's not yet clear that Mo Bamba is ready to, t- to step in and be a starter. That's going to cost the team a lot of games. If Evan Fournier goes down with an injury, the Magic would be then be relying on Dwayne Bacon or Cole Anthony to help fill in his minutes. Obviously, they'd have Terrence Ross too. But the Magic just don't have a lot of depth behind their very best players. And they're actually relying on a lot of rookies and a lot of young players on this team. It is expected that Chuma Okiki, the Magic's 2019 draft pick, who missed the entire 2020 season to rehab a torn ACL, is going to slot in as the backup power for. If he's not able to play, if he's not able to play at a high level, the Magic all of a sudden are back to relying on Gary Clark and just don't have a ton of talent um, to, to withstand any type of absences or, frankly, to kind of keep a, a starting group afloat that is not exactly well-matched either. Same thing with Cole Anthony. The Magic's 2020 draft pick is slotted in right now as a backup point guard. If he's not able to provide very much, the Magic just don't have a lot behind him. The Magic's depth should be stronger. It's certainly more talented, but it's um, but it's definitely not very stable. And I think that's why the Magic are kind of considered uh, a team that's on the decline or, or on the way down. The Magic are not going to be much different offensively or defensively this year. Steve Clifford teams do a lot of the same things. They don't turn the ball over. They're very conservative, going for steals. They're pretty pretty solid defensively. They rebound really, really well. That's what this Magic team is going to be defensively. Offensively, you know, essentially this is the same roster. They're going to run back the same starting lineup. They, you know, only really lost DJ Augustine and Wesley Awundu, replacing them uh, in their rotation with Cole Anthony and Chumo Kiki. So this roster is not going to operate much differently than last year's 33 and 40 outfit. This is a big season for Aaron Gordon. I previewed it earlier, but this is a humongous season for Aaron Gordon. Without Jonathan Isaac in the lineup, there is no one to keep Gordon from playing the power forward position where he is most natural. There's no one there to kind of crowd him and prevent him from working around the basket. There's no one there really to take the ball out of his hands. The Magic won't get to figure out if if Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac work together as a duo, but they will get to learn a lot about Aaron Gordon. If you're looking for someone to maybe invest in a little bit and for your fantasy basketball, Aaron Gordon might be the guy because he's going to get a ton of opportunity. Now, how risky is that bet? Pretty risky because the Magic have been waiting for him to take that leap pretty soon. This season for the Orlando Magic is, again, about making the playoffs. I think I said in last year's episode um, that the Magic missing the, that the Magic season cannot be a success if they miss the playoffs. That feels a little bit off this year, but is essentially the same. The Orlando Magic want to be in the playoffs, and I don't mean the play-in tournament, I mean the playoffs proper, even if that means they have to win the play-in tournament. But other teams in the Eastern Conference got better, while the Magic essentially kept the same roster, adding in a couple rookies and young players that are going to be expected to take on bigger roles, and especially Cole Anthony and Chumo Kiki, and also Mo Bamba. I think the Magic take a step back this year. I don't see them finishing in the top eight. I do see them making the play-in tournament, but I actually see them kind of finishing around the mark that the Magic were at last year in the 33 to 34, maybe 35 win range. Um, Wouldn't surprise me if it's a little bit less than that. So somewhere between 30 and 35 wins. I think they finish ninth or 10th in the Eastern Conference. They make the play-in tournament, but ultimately fall short and head back to the lottery to try and retool and figure out what comes next. This has been Philip Rosmanreich of Locked On Magic. Be sure to tune in for all the latest on the Orlando Magic and what should be a very interesting season for a team that's surprisingly young, but also has a very cloudy future ahead of it. 
We're wrapping up our southeastern preview in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., a town known for deals and trading. The Wizards got in on the action by trading John Wall to the Houston Rockets in exchange for star guard Russell Westbrook. Will the Wizards elect to make the playoffs this year, or are they just a lame duck? Here are the brand new hosts of the Locked On Wizards podcast with a preview. What's up, Wizards fans? It's Anthony Cittadino and Ben Mehich from Locked On Wizards bringing you the 2020-2021 Washington Wizards season preview. We have six questions teed up to set the stage for this season. Ben, why don't you kick us off with this first question. What is the biggest storyline heading into the season? It has to be how Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal are going to mash. I mean, there were questions about how Russell Westbrook plays with other superstar talent. There's no question that he's helped guys like Paul George take it to the next level, but uh, they've been kicked out of the first round every every single year since um, since Kevin Durant left. How is he going to mesh with Bradley Beal? That's a new backcourt. I know there's been comparisons to John Wall, but these are different players. His usage rate is much higher than John Wall's. Their style of play is different. And the, the season is condensed. They won't have much time to build that sort of chemistry. And the season hinges upon their chemistry, really. Uh, so the biggest storyline has to be, how's the Wizards' new backcourt going to look? So let's toss it back to you for our second question. What needs to happen for the best-case scenario? Best-case scenario for this season would be um, would be them making the playoffs and winning multiple playoff series, in my mind. Uh, for the past 10 seasons, all their playoff runs have resulted in a second-round exit or worse. Um, if they were able to make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals, um, at, you know, while adding Russ and, you know, pairing him up with Brad, that would be best case scenario in my mind. Obviously, best case scenario for any team would be winning a championship. But obviously, we know that there's a lot of great, great contenders out there, um, a lot in the West. But yeah, um, I think an Eastern Conference Finals run, that would be a great, great scenario for, for this team. And uh, let's I'll throw it back to you with our third question. What would lead to the worst-case scenario of the season? You know, Anthony, we're going to talk about this team's offense all throughout the season. Uh, we talked about Russ and Bradley Beal. You throw in Davis Bertans, uh, Thomas Bryant, who's one of the most efficient centers in basketball. There's no question that they're going to be the one of the best offensive teams in basketball. But for the worst case scenario to happen for another first round exit or perhaps a playoff miss, they're going to have to be bad defensively again. And they didn't make that many roster moves. Russell Westbrook has to show up defensively. We know that he's capable. Is he going to be committed? What about the other guys? Is Thomas Bryant going to show up defensively? Is he going to improve as a rim protector? Were his offensive struggles primarily a result of playing next to Isaiah Thomas? These are all the questions that need to be answered. And if the worst case scenario happens, if they were to miss the playoffs, it's probably because they were putrid on defense again. So. With that said, what do you think is going to be different with this team offensively and def- uh, and uh, defensively when compared to last season? I think you just spelled it out. Um, adding Russ to any team will impact any any offensive system. I mean, adding a guy who can who can average twenty five to thirty points, you know, any given season, close to a triple double, if not a triple double. Um, that is going to impact your offense greatly. I mean, like you said, defensively they have, bad, you know, they had really, really bad struggles last season. Um, they're really lacking, you know, with their front court this year. Um, as far as rim protectors go, like you said, you know, hopefully Thomas Bryant will um, improve this season. But, but yeah, defensively, I don't know how much 
they're really going to change. Maybe Russ can can really bring some some you know intensity on that on that side of the ball, but offensively, they I mean we're yeah like you said we're we're going to be talking about that all season. Uh, adding Russ to this team, pairing him with Brad, that's going to um, be a game changer offensively for this team. And uh, I guess I'll throw it back to you with our fifth question. Um, I guess out of all the players um, on the team, uh, whose career trajectory is most impacted this season, either good or bad? I mean, the good or bad part of the question is going to be hard to tell, right? Because we don't really know what this season is going to look like for the Wizards. And what does success mean to Bradley Beal? Is a playoff appearance enough to keep him around so to answer your question whose career trajectory is most impacted i think it's bradley beal because if the team for instance misses the playoffs i think it's probably the last season we'll see of bradley beal in the washington wizard uniform and to that end i could easily see him ending up in a place like uh, miami uh, a team that's been pining over beal for the last couple seasons so uh depending on how the season shapes up his career trajectory will change just by virtue of potentially ending up on a different team. Obviously, that's what the Wizards are hoping doesn't happen, and that's why they made that Russell Westbrook trade. And I guess that's a good segue to my question. What is your best guess on how the season will ultimately end for the Wizards? Well, I guess Washington will most likely be a playoff team. Um, that that seems pretty obvious at this point. But as far as playoff teams go, I think they'll be around the six to eight seed range. Uh, the East has really shaped up to be much tougher conference compared to past seasons. Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Miami, Boston, Philly—they're all they're all pretty set at the top. And um, the Wizards are probably going to be fighting it out um, from six to eight with teams like Indiana, Orlando, Toronto, and maybe Atlanta with their rejuvenated roster. Um, they're definitely lacking in the defensive end, which will play a big role in their loss column. But uh, but on a brighter note, you know, this could be one of the most exciting seasons Washington has ever had with, with you know, the pairing of Russ and Brad um, and having one of the best backcourts in basketball. And finally, we're going to the team at Rejecting the Screen. They've got their crystal ball out. They're looking into the future and predicting the headlines for each division. Adam, Noah, take it away. Rejecting the Screen, Noah Kozlov, Adam Stenko, our Southeast Division headlines for tomorrow. Brash Bonanza. Not Brass Bonanza. Brash Bonanza. That is a synonym, folks, for confidence. And that comes from the guards in this division. Trey, LaMelo, John Wall, Bradley Beal, a bit to a lesser extent. Tyler Hero. You've got guys who have the ball in their hands in this division that are all-world confidence guys. Brash. A bonanza of brashness in the Southeast Conference. And then even in Orlando... Markel Fultz doesn't exude that, but he still has the number one pick there. And also, Cole Anthony is ready to dunk on anybody and anybody at any time. It has been now back-to-back years in the Southeast Division where they've had just one team over 500. The division hasn't been very good, but they've got guys who you want to watch play. It's been five years, Adam, since they've had more than two teams over 500. So it's been a down half decade for the division, 
but the brashness of the guards make me interested in seeing what each one of these teams is going to be doing every night. I like that. I like that. For me in the Southeast, it's same path, different journeys. That is, the Heat and the Hawks are in for breakout seasons, but they're getting there in different ways. So you first look at Miami, and it's basically the team they took to the finals, only now they're healthy and they have that experience. And yes, they lost Jay Crowder, but they add Avery Bradley. They add Precious, Achua. So now you're talking about a team that supplements that defense, that toughness that Pat Riley loves, that Spo, as we love to call him, he loves basically the same roster, essentially the same roster, same core pieces, now just a little bit older, a little bit wiser. Now we look at the Hawks. Yes, it was Trey Young and everybody else last year. What does Trey Young do so well? The pick and roll. Well, now you've got Clint Capella he can run the pick and roll with. You've got Onyeka Kongwu they, they acquire in the draft. Plus, think about the shooting that's now part of the Hawks, which now they can spread you out. It already was Trey Young and Kevin Herter that can beat you that way. But now you think about, and plus DeAndre Hunter, but now you've got Danilo Gallinari, you've got Bogdan Bogdanovich. So this team's got different pieces. And then they go out and acquire Chris Dunn, who's going to help you defensively and in terms of leadership. And guess who else is going to do that? Rajon Rondo. So with all the pieces they add, plus we didn't even mention John Collins, Cam Reddish about to take a leap forward as well. The Hawks are going to have a breakout season just like the Heat are. But instead of keeping their team the same, the Hawks have had a complete makeover. Thank you so much again for listening. We've got previews on all 30 teams coming soon or on the feed already, depending on when you're listening. Subscribe to Locked On NBA and your favorite team podcast if you haven't already. Stay safe, stay warm. Enjoy the NBA season, everybody. 